you, you forgot the last one. You know what the last one is? When God says, I'll do you one better. Where you, you ask for a Toyota. And God says, you know what? Because you're my son, I'm going to give you a BMW. That kind of a prayer. And the truth of the matter is when God says wait, I'm beginning to learn that it's a period for me to get prepared for what he's about to do. That's what waiting is. That I'm getting myself ready for what God is about to do. And then the fourth response, like I was just saying, sometimes says, you know, I'll do you one better. Oh, I like those. You know, I remember one time, we were living in Lagos, Nigeria at the time, and we are getting ready to go for a conference in, uh, in New York, and uh, I got very sick. I had food poisoning. And so, a brother took me to the hospital. I spent the night in the hospital for the first time ever in my life. I never slept in the hospital. As a matter of fact, I was telling the doctor, let me go home. Let me go home. I, I don't want to sleep in the hospital. He said, you're not going anywhere. So, he, you know, they gave me an IV, and they kept me overnight. They kept on pumping antibiotics into me. So he said, I'll let you go home tomorrow. If you promise me, you're going to go home and rest. We're meant to be flying out to New York the next day. So I went home, and we lived very close to the airport. And so what we would do when we travel is we'd go in and check in, and check in our bags, and then go back home. Spend some time with the kids, and then just walk in when we're about to board. And so on that day, I got to the airport. I wasn't feeling very well. And uh, I, I handed the lady my stuff. She goes, you're not even on the flight. I said, what? She says, you're not on the flight. Next, as God would have it, there was a brother on the flight with me, and uh, he was uh, one of the top VPs in his bank, and those guys had people at the airport that would help them do stuff. She said, give me your stuff. Let, let my guys try. The next thing I know, they said, come up front. So I said, thank you. So I got up. I gave them my papers, and uh, this guy is standing behind the lady, you know, checking me in, and he goes, upgrade. I said, thank you. And so I got our boarding pass and everything. I was so fired up. So I went back home. I said, Sarah, we got bumped to business class. It's an 11-hour flight from Lagos to New York. I was like, thank you, God, I'm going to be able to sleep. And so, you know, we, we, we said bye to the kids. We got back to the airport, and we're going through security. That's when I looked down at the boarding passes. And it says, 1A and 1C. And I said, Sarah, we're in front of the airplane. And so we walk in. He goes, welcome. First class. I was like, wow. And, uh, you know, we got in. I'm, I'm pretending like as if, you know, I'm used to this kind of thing. You know, they come in. They, 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 they serve you an appetizer. They come and clear the thing. They give you some. Uh, sherbet to clear your palate, and I'm like, oh, this, oh, that's what that thing is for, okay. <laughs> they, then they bring the salad, then they bring the, 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 the main meal and everything. The part that killed me was after I was done, the, the flight attendant comes up and says, are you ready to retire? I said, yes. And then he opened up some compartment, and he brought out the bedding and the duvet, and he's making the bed. I'm standing there going, you know what, I can get used to this. I took my medication, and I went to sleep for eight hours. When we landed in New York, the brother who picked us up, Jim Brown, he goes, man, you guys look so fresh. I said, you're not going to believe this. We're in first class. 
It was awesome. You and I are first-class citizens. So I'm asking you this morning, has Satan stolen your identity? Have you allowed him to steal your identity? You know, in America, this is one of, actually one of the biggest crimes right now, where somebody's identity is stolen like every few minutes in this country. I've had a few people go through it. It's not pleasant. It's not at all. But has Satan stolen your identity? I saw this a while back and I thought, man, this is so great. It's called the five-by-five five rule. If it's not going to matter in five years, don't spend more than five minutes being upset about it. I've started to live by this. It works. If it's not going to matter five years from now, I'm not going to spend more than five minutes worrying about it. Life is hard. Nobody is saying it's going to be easy. But it's how we react to these things that determines how we are and who we are. Amen? You know, you know John 8, 44? If the devil's mouth is moving, he's lying. Seriously. Why? Because the Bible says there is no truth in him. And I think, be careful that Satan doesn't steal your identity. Be careful that you don't keep listening to his lies. You and I are children of God. We're royal priesthood. When God looks down on us, he sees his kids. He delights in us. Amen? But yes, life is tough. I love history. And uh, one of the guys I love reading about is Winston Churchill. He stood up to Hitler during World War II. And one of the things he said in passing, got nothing to do with the war, he says, you will never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. There's a lot of truth to that. He's basically saying you keep your focus on where you're going. Keep your focus on where you're headed. Jesus is at the finish line, like I started talking about yesterday. And that's why we got to keep our focus on heaven. We got to keep our focus on where we're going to spend eternity. All this stuff is all temporary. It's all temporary. And it's all going to burn up one day. The Bible teaches that God is going to destroy this present heaven where God is right now and this earth by fire. And then he's going to create a new one where you and I will spend eternity. Amen? You and I are God's children and we've been put on this earth to make a difference. My late mother will always say to me, never forget the son of who you are. Not your moeniti one shape. It meant a lot more to me after I became a Christian. And it kept me a lot out of trouble when I, when I first came to this country. Because I remembered whose son I am. I didn't want to bring shame to her name. I tell people all the time, my name is all I've got. And that's why I can't afford to mess it up or allow anybody to mess it up. Amen? But you and I were put on this earth to make a difference. You know, I'm preaching from an Apple computer right now, Mac. And uh, I, I wasn't a Mac person until my, my computer, you know, crashed. And then I took two days to really think and pray, and then I, I got it. And I was like, wow, this thing works the way my, my mind works. I'm typing a letter, and I want to drag in a photograph, and I just, whoop, and it's right there. It's like, oh, man, I should have done this years ago. 
But you remember the story that Steve Jobs started Apple in his garage. And then it got so big, he brought in this guy named John Scully. John Scully was the head of Pepsi at the time. And Steve Jobs was good at the computer stuff, but he didn't know anything about management. And so he went and recruited John Scully. And you know what he said to John Scully to get him to move to Apple? He says, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? And Scully left Pepsi and came to, came to Apple. Now, later on, they had a falling out. Scully actually fired Steve Jobs. And then, obviously, Apple wasn't doing well. And then they got rid of Scully, and then Steve Jobs came back. You need, you need to read his biography. Very, very impressive. It's this thick, but it's a quick read. I was reading this stuff like, man, I wish I had bought Apple stock. How come nobody told me about this? These men changed the world. How about us? That's got the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Amen? Yeah, they changed this life, but you and I have been called to change eternity. That's amazing to me. And yes, yes, we have struggles, like I've been saying. But just because the past didn't turn out like you wanted it to, doesn't mean your future can't be better than you ever imagined. You know Ephesians 3.20? That's one of my favorite passages of the Bible. It says, now to him who is able to do much more than we can ask or can even imagine. To him be glory, I mean, and, and so on. I mean, it's just incredible. A lot of us, we have a prayer list, and that's great. I want to encourage you to start an imagination list. The kind of list that you tell people what you're praying about, and they look at you like you're crazy. And that Ephesians 3 says, God will do much more than that. Than what you can even ask or can even imagine. Amen? The future is bright, brothers. Again, many years ago when the dot-com thing just started, you know, um, a brother mentioned that, hey, you know what, we're, we're starting this company. Do you have any money to invest? And I, I, I scraped up all my savings at the time. We're in Africa. It was $3,000. And I gave it in. And a few years later, I'll never forget it. Mike Tolliver came to visit us in Lagos. And he says, oh, by the way, um, this brother wants to buy you out. I and mean, buy your shares. I said, how much is it worth? He said, $70,000. I said, you say what? He said, $70,000. That I'd just given $3,000 for. Like a couple of years before. I said, I'm not selling. He says, Rich, 70000 is a lot of money. I said, Mike, this thing is going to keep going up. I said, I'm not selling. And I didn't sell. And you know what happened? The dot-com bubble bust. I don't even think that thing is worth 200 bucks right now. When I look back at that, I'm like, man, I should have taken the 70 grand and ran. We've all made mistakes. I wish I could have seen the future. Can you imagine back then if I had taken that 70 grand and invested in an apple? Do you know how much I would be worth right standing here? But God in his wisdom saying, uh-uh, that's not the way you're going to go. So I'm not going to keep crying over that. Are you with me? We all have successes. We all have failures. 
But you got to keep going. God is not through with you yet. We live on a blue planet that circles around a ball of fire next to a moon that moves the sea, and you don't believe in miracles? Seriously. We serve a miracle-walking God. There ought to be a bounce in your step. August 9th of this year, I was in Lagos, Nigeria. They were having their 30th anniversary. And they invited us to come and speak. And uh, I used to lead that church at one point. And so they said, we'd love for you to be the, the, the speaker that Sunday. And they were also going to be having a conference. And they wanted me to teach a couple of classes. So they sent me this text uh, close to the date and said, you know what? One is tight. Um, we can't afford to bring you and Sarah. It's just going to be you. I woke up and I read it. And I picked up the phone and I called one of the elders. I said, guys, it's okay. I understand. It's okay. Uh, if, if Sarah can't come, it's okay. Then I, I'm not coming either. Um, and the brother goes, no, 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 no. You, you know, we, we'll find the money. We'll find the money. And so they did. And we both went down there. Sunday, August 9th, 6 a.m. in the morning. I get up and uh, I turn the water heater on. It's not like in America where every bathroom, you know, has its own water heater. And so you have to turn the little thing on, and then, you know, the water will get hot, and then you, you get into the shower and you, you, you take a shower. That's the way it is over there. And there are no breakers. I'm telling you all this because you are looking at a miracle standing in front of you. Satan almost took me out that morning. I finished taking my shower. This is what the enclosure looks like. There's a top shower, and then you can see the one where you can grab as a handle. And uh, I had finished showering, and I decided to grab the, the thing that looks like a telephone to, to rinse out my toes. And boy, the electricity, the electricity grabbed me. And I screamed. I started to scream. And we're talking 220 volts. And America is 110. Over there is 220. And so I grabbed the thing, and I, and I screamed instinctively. I used my left hand to yank it out of my right hand, and it got stuck here. And I'm screaming. I'm screaming. I'm calling out for my wife. And so she comes into the room thinking I'm having a leg cramp, which I've experienced some from, you know, a, a side effect from being dehydrated because of my hormone therapy. And I said, Sarah. I'm being electrocuted, and I'm screaming the whole time. I'm saying, yay, yay, yay. She goes, what is She asked me later, what is that? I said, that is how Yoruba scream when they're in agony. And so I said, don't touch me, don't touch me. Then I said, turn the water heater off. And so she ran back into the room, turned the heat off, turned the water heater off, nothing, no relief. I'm still stuck to the thing, screaming. She grabs a towel, tries to lift. She couldn't do it. Then I looked down and I realized, oh, there's still water flowing. So I used my right elbow to shut in the water. At that point, she was not able to lift each of my fingers and carry the thing out of my hand with a towel. And I felt this release. And I just kept on going, not today, Satan. Not today, Satan. Not today, Satan. My wife was shaking. I say all that to say, if my wife was done the room, we are not having this conversation. Come find out, so many people die like that. And then it dawned on me, 
when the brother was building the house, he's one of our elders. When he was building that house seven years ago, I had gone for some visit. He asked me to come and pray. It's very common in my culture. When people are building a house or whatever, they'll ask you to come and pray. They'll ask the minister to come and pray. So I went. And I remembered vividly praying that a dead body would never be carried out from that house. Brothers, I had no idea I was praying for myself. Every single person that I've spoken to, I'm like, what? You went through that for about 40 seconds and you could talk? You could think? I say, I know I'm still here because God still has work for me to do. There is no doubt in my mind. You know, and I know that I'm at the last quarter of my life. And all I want to do is bring God more glory. Because he created me and called me to his church for a reason. He created you and brought you into his church for a reason. And God isn't through with you yet. There's still work to be done, amen? This is Her Majesty, the Queen of England. I woke up a few months ago right after my book was um, published. And something in my spirit just said, send it to her. So I went into my office. I went to my office and I tapped the letter, introduced myself, and, uh, and I sent it off to her. I wished her happy birthday and all that. And I sent it off to her. And I also included this picture. This is my great-grandfather, King Daniel Robertson Adesoya. He met the queen in 1955 when she came to Nigeria on a royal visit. I wasn't born until 62. And so I included this photo and I sent it off. I remember getting to the post office, and the lady's going, really? You're sending something to, to the palace? I said, yeah. I said, I hope she gets it. And I sent it off. Believe it or not, three months later, I got a letter from the palace. The queen got my book. I'm fired up. My book is in the palace. I pray she reads it. But the lady in waiting wrote me back. I'm going to frame this stuff, by the way. I haven't done it yet. But I'm going to frame it. The envelope and the letter. I pray she reads it. She's supposed to be the head of the, the Church of England. You know, we need to talk. My Bible says Jesus is the head of the church. Not you, your majesty. I mean, if she invites me over, I'll be there in a heartbeat. And I will preach the word. But you see, you and I were royalty. We're God's children. Amen? I got to end with this. This is a huge warning in Matthew 6. From verse 19, it says, Do not store for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. <laughs> Brothers, be very, very careful. Be very, very careful. This is investment 101 according to Jesus. It says, don't store up anything on this earth. It says, store up your treasures in heaven. The only thing that I know of that we can store in heaven is the souls of men and women. And so how's it going? Seriously, where you are actively praying to reach out to people and to convert them. And to stay friends with them. Every day when, when, when somebody, you know, is in your path, you just open up your mouth. What are they going to do? I love reaching out to people. I do it naturally. 
We're at the airport coming back from Kenya the other day. And I look up and I see this guy. I said, wait a second, that's the guy from 60 Minutes. And I couldn't remember his name. So I Googled it. I said, yeah, that's Scott Pelley. So I went over there. I said, hi, hi Scott. I stuck my hand out, introduced myself. I told him I'm a minister and all that stuff. And the next thing, my wife also comes around. I goes, hi, I'm his wife. Do you mind, can we take a picture? And then we're taking a picture. And then this couple comes around and says, can we meet your friend? I said, sure. I'll take the picture. And so I took a picture with, with Scott Pelley. And I said, you know what? I don't have any of my books. I said, listen, I just wrote this book. I'd love to send it to you. And he gave me his address. And I sent my book to Scott Pelley from 60 Minutes. And we start talking about God and, you know, he says, yeah, hey, we, we need God during these times. Very nice guy. But you see, I, I share that to say, you know what, God puts all kinds of people in our path. Who's going to convert all these people? God put them in your path for a reason, amen? So you open your mouth. You know, so many times we're so worried about what people are going to say and what people are saying about us. Who cares? Don't worry about those who talk behind your back. They're behind you for a reason. We got to leave a legacy. We got only one chance to live. If their name is not God, their opinion doesn't matter. Amen? Because our identity is in Jesus Christ. You know, I went through something called survivor's guilt. The, friends, the first colleague and dear friend I lost was Damien Jean-Baptiste. He had just come to our church to do an international Sunday for us. I had him in my house for five days to myself. Damien would come in from the Caribbean into Atlanta, and I wouldn't even know he was there. And so one day I cornered him. I said, Damien, if you ever come to Atlanta again and you don't look me up, I'm not going to speak to you again. And so he said, okay, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. And so he came. Did a phenomenal Bring Your Neighbor Day for us. Uh, International Sunday, I'm sorry. And then a few months later, he was diagnosed with liver cancer. He had contracted hepatitis when he went on a mission team to India. And he was gone. By November, he was gone. He had come to us in April. Phenomenal man of God. And then it's Scott Green. I remember when I got the news that, you know, Scott had a brain tumor. And obviously he had surgery and everything. He was going through radiation and chemo. And I called him up. I said, Scott, let's pray. And we're talking. We're exchanging, you know, you know just talking. And there's just something about cancer that, that draws you close to other people that are suffering. And so he and I are talking. And next thing, he, he bows down. His, he, you know, he dips his head. And he shows me the scar. I was like, whoa. I, was, I didn't see that coming. But it's passed on now. Incredible man of God. These guys have gone on before us. Honestly, I thought I was next. And God in his mercy, I'm still standing. And then there's my homeboy, Onyechi Ogwaya. We're from the same country. We're on the same mission team together to Nairobi, Kenya. One of my best friends. I met him the day he got married. I just moved up to New York from Boston. And we were meeting there as a team before flying over to Kenya. And he was getting married. And one of the brothers said, hey, one of the guys on the mission team is getting married. He's actually Nigerian like you. I said, oh, great, let's go. And I'll never forget it. During the reception, I walked over to him and I introduced myself. I said, hi, Nietzsche, I've heard so much about you. My name is, he said, homeboy. And would you believe he never called me Richard from that day on. And I also called him homeboy. 
After a while, we cut down, we, we got rid of the boy. We just called each other home. He'll be in the back of the room, home! I, I, knew, I, I know who he's referring to. And if it was me, I'm, I'm, I'm calling him. He died of aggressive prostate cancer. Of all of us evangelists in Africa, he was the most fit. Health-wise, you would think he would be the last person that God calls. But God took him first. I miss him so much. I've always wondered, when we cross over, I'm about to be done. When we cross over, what is it going to be like? Okay, this is me now. The Bible doesn't tell us much in terms of what, when we cross over, what it's going to be like. I think it's going to be like when a baby is born into this world. Where your family members and your close relatives and your friends are the ones that know. And I think when I cross over, my loved ones and my friends and people that I've known on this earth would have been told. And they're going to gather. And I see people, even before being able to make out their names at their faces, I hear Nietzsche's voice. Home! Welcome! You made it! Brothers, let us never forget who we are. Pray for us in Corpus Christi. It's been an honor and a privilege being with you guys. We're going to take communion now. Jesus came into this world to die for us. And so let us bow down our heads and pray for the communion as we partake of the bread and the wine. Let us pray. Our Father who is in heaven, thank you so much for dying for us. Thank you for redeeming us by your blood. Thank you for not treating us like our sins deserve. Father, we thank you, Father, for the cross. We thank you for Jesus. I pray, God, we will live up to everything that you've created us to be every single day. We love you, Father. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.